0: Hello, and thank you for joining us once again for Chicago Sports HQ Chatter. I'm Dustin Reese, and once again, I'm joined by Cole Little. How was everything going for you today, Cole?
1: I'm doing well, man. I hope you're doing well, too. Um, Thanks for having me back on. Looking forward to round two.
0: Have a good holiday weekend?
1: Yeah, it's pretty relaxing. I mean... You know, as good as a holiday weekend can be during this strange time, I guess. (laughs) Pretty Uh, much. Yeah, lots of sports at least. And going to be obviously a heck of a lot more sports this weekend.
0: Yeah, definitely a good thing there. Uh, Let's just jump right into it. Um, We're actually getting to the very near end of the baseball season this year. Most teams are now within... 15 to 20 games until their season is complete, give or take the St. Louis Cardinals and the Marlins, who still have some double Mm -hmm. headers to make up yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cubs and White Sox, both still battling and sitting in first place in their respective divisions. Uh, White Sox took care of business this weekend against the Royals, but kind of had a little bit of a setback against Pittsburgh last night while the Cubs struggled to get things done against the Cardinals, but managed to take the series finale on Monday before Responding with a nice win against Cincinnati last night. Just kind of some thoughts on the Chicago baseball this weekend and kind of where you see each team going over the next two weeks.
1: Yeah. Um, as far as the Cubs, kind of a rough go of things Saturday, Sunday, um, in terms of, you know, offensive production, um, you know kind of seem to rely too much on the home run ball, not really getting any quality at bats, but that's those pesky cardinals I mean no you know no matter how many games they have to cram in a short period of time, they're always gonna play the Cubs tough, so they split that season series with them five five, uh you know good on them in the midst of this crazy weather they've been having in Chicago for these past few days to get a couple of wins. Um, and yeah, the White Sox, the White Sox too seem to really be, you know, rolling rolling along. Um, you know, we talked on the last episode, I think about how super talented they are. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's already down to kind of like the, the home stretch, so to speak, uh, You know, the the Cubs are really going to have to get back into a rhythm in terms of consistently hitting the ball, Um, you know, if they're going to stay atop that division. And the White Sox, you know, seem to really be continue to be pounding it out there. I know they had kind of a rough go of things offensively in the Twins series recently, but then uh, swept the Royals will look to beat the pirates tonight for a two game for a split in that two gamer. But, um, yeah, I mean, both of these teams, you know, as long as they, as long as they stay true to, you know, what's gotten them here, what's gotten them this far in terms of being atop the being near the top of the division the whole time, um, they should coast into the playoffs. They should definitely be post-season material for sure. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, still you know, still a good good bit of baseball to be played on a proportional scale if you factor in, you know, the the shortened season. But yeah, it is crazy this already to the home stretch.
0: Yeah, I guess one of the things that I shouldn't say frustrated me this weekend, but I took a lot of notice to this weekend was during the Cubs Cardinals series, especially on Sunday night when it was John Lester versus Dakota Hudson. You had the wind blowing out at probably 40 miles an hour at Wrigley Field. I think during the game they said that there was like a gale force Mm -hmm. wind warning during the game, which is something that you normally don't see this late in the year. And yet the Cubs only managed to score three runs with both those runs coming off of homers. In a situation like that, do you think teams sometimes look up at the flags and rely too much on the wind and just try to crush it instead of just putting the ball in play? Because we all know during the wind at Wrigley Field, if it's blowing out at 30 miles an hour, a routine pop fly can turn into a basket shot just like a normal fly ball would.
1: Yeah, and I mean that happened uh, in a way in that game in terms of the wind turning – you know, fly out potential fly outs or line outs under normal circumstances into home runs. Um, yeah, that was that was a strange one because the win was insane for like the first two or three innings. Um, you know, and, I mean, we saw it on the very first at bat of the game when Colton Wong hit that <laughs> pop up in the foul ground, it ended up getting blown into fair territory and, and being a the most unconventional ground out you'll ever see. But, uh, yeah, that was weird because they hit – because both teams hit several home runs in the early goings and then the wind just kind of gradually died out. And it did seem like, you know, the the Cubs were, you know, were hitting it well when the wind was blowing out, but then this kind of died at the plate. Um, Yeah, I've noticed that before myself. I mean, particularly with some of the – You know, more traditional sluggers, so to speak, that there is too much of a reliance on trying to get it up in that jet stream, so to say, and and get it out of the park. Um, And yeah, when the wind died down, the Cubs' offense went completely dead. It died with it, but the Cardinals kept on hitting the ball, and and you know, even after Goldschmidt's uh, three-run bomb, they you know added some insurance runs. So. Yeah, that that's something that I've noticed. And then it's funny, you know, these past two nights, uh, these past two games, that, of course, the Cubs have won. And the wind's, I think, primarily been blowing in for most of these games. Um, a Crazy stat, the Cubs have won both of these games without homering in either one of them. Uh, first time they've won consecutive games without going yard in either one of the games uh, since June of 2018. So, you know, I guess they've it's shown that they don't necessarily need, you know, the wind to be blowing out or don't need to rely on the home run ball. Um, and they've gotten it done, got it done last night in the midst of that terrible weather with a couple triples into the right field corner, uh, or to deep right field at least. Um But yeah, I mean that that's that to me is the ultimate key for this team in terms of developing into a rhythm offensively is to not try to rely too much on swinging for the fences all the time. I mean, that was one of the biggest bugaboos of the last couple of years of the Joe Madden era is it was sort of like living and dying by the home run game in and game out. And, you know, when they got off to this 13 and three start this year, um, you know, there was there were a good deal of home runs, but there was plenty of of you know small ball, uh, you know they were actually loading up the bases and getting something done, uh, which they haven't been doing lately with bases loaded opportunities. So that's just to me the ultimate key is to just yeah don't don't rely too much on trying to hit one out, um, whether it's at Wrigley or anywhere, and uh, yeah just get back to, to what got them off to that great start.
0: Yeah, and like kind of what you were saying yesterday with – or just a second ago about yesterday with uh, Cubs winning the last two games without hitting a home run. Ironically, they had two RBI triples last night, which ultimately won the game. And both of those RBI triples happened to go to right field where Nicholas Castellanos was playing. Mm -hmm. Castellanos has always been known as a great hitter but not the best defensive player. And we saw that last night with the triple that Bodie hit over his head as he misread the fly ball. Do you think had the Cubs known that the DH was a possibility this season heading into the regular season, do you think they would have brought Castellanos back and strictly used him as a DH?
1: Wow. That's a great question. Um, Yeah, that's definitely a thinker. Uh, just to quickly touch on what you addressed um, in terms of his defense last night. Yeah, his defense on both of those triples was shaky to say the least. Uh, he ran in on the Bodhi triple and then had to watch it go over his head. And then by it, the bias triple, he just kind of really misjudged it on, you know, what probably should have been a double instead of a triple took too long to field it. And his defense the with the wind and the rain and, just crummy all around weather that might have contributed to it. But I think we touched on this uh, last week, how, you know, the one of the biggest question marks for him, or at least I've I've talked about this with somebody with Cubs HQ is that um, one of the biggest question marks for him as a tiger was his shaky defense. Like you just alluded to, Uh, but it's funny. We never really necessarily saw that to all that much when he was a Cub. I don't know if, they just didn't the opponents didn't really hit it to him a whole lot or uh, or what but yeah that is an interesting thing to think about if they would have brought him back just to be a dh um i don't know i mean i i feel like you know i, I feel like maybe the the money would have still been an issue or or just um you know worrying about having too much of a log jam there in that lineup. But I don't know. They might have. I mean, is it safe to say you kind of feel like they might have brought him back had they known the DH would have been a thing for, for at least this year?
0: I'm honestly surprised they didn't bring him back at all. Right. I, really thought, I didn't think they were going to give him a five-year deal like Cincinnati gave him. I, I figured that was going to be out of the question. I figured they would try to bring him back on like – two or three years and maybe try to have Jason Hayward refigure his contract a little bit or try to have Lester refigure his contract a little bit to free up some money. When I saw him sign with Cincinnati, I mean, I saw the, the amount of money and I saw the years, so I knew, like, okay, well, that's the deal that he was looking for. But I think had the Cubs come in, say, a three-year deal with something close to what Cincinnati offered him annually – I think he would have been back in Chicago. I think he would have been more so kind of like what Schwarber used to be, where Schwarber would play six innings in the field, and then come the seventh inning, you would bring in the defensive replacement. I think him and Hayward would kind of shuffle between center field, right field on certain occasions. And then once the DH was announced this year, I think Castellanos would have been in the lineup every day as the DH. And then let's just say the DH goes away again next year. The Cubs could figure out what to do at that point. But he, to me, was just the lifesaver of that franchise last year, even though they didn't make the playoffs out of it. Mm -hmm. The energy that he brought was something the Cubs hadn't seen in a couple of years. And you can see it right now in Cincinnati. He's not the same energetic player that he was because the team isn't winning like he expected it to be. Winning is contagious, and if you're winning, it brings out – a certain side and a different side of you where I think if he would have came back to Chicago this year, he would have still had that same energy that he played with last year.
1: Yeah, probably so. I mean, you're right. You know, that he was really the the plug in August after they acquired him at the trade deadline. Um, I mean, really one of the few positive, you know, takeaways from the last six weeks or so of the Cubs season last year was you know him continuing to play well all that he contributed um but yeah he had he had a, a stretch here with the reds where he hit a lot of home runs had a hot streak but uh yeah i mean you know it, it would have been nice to to think of him as being back in the lineup as everyday dh i mean i, I was about i was about to say you know, i was thinking when you were talking about his defense that you know, he's essentially a, a DH in waiting. I feel like, you know, mm-hmm. once his Reds tenure runs out, he'll probably head to the AL if the NL doesn't have the DH permanently by then and be a DH. He's kind of a J.D. Martinez type of guy. Um, yeah, that is something nice to think about is, you know, the Cubs have had this sort of – Running rotation of guys, they're they're putting in there is the DH from Caratini who hasn't really done well. Spot to sometimes Contreras when Caratini's behind the plate, Kipnis, Um You know they they just acquired Jose Martinez that didn't work out too well. So yeah, we got
0: Billy, we got Billy Hamilton out of it, which right. said in I said in the story that I wrote this morning, Billy Hamilton to me is kind of like the. Terrence Gore signing back in 2017 where the Cubs are literally just going to use him as a pinch runner in the eighth inning when they need to steal a base Mm
1: -hmm. and then just
0: stick him out in center field in the eighth inning just to keep him in the game. That's pretty much all he's going to be used for.
1: Yeah, it's. it's, I guess that's something that uh, Epstein really likes to have. You go back and think of, I guess, when Dave Roberts was was playing for the Red Sox, and you know, got some key steals in their postseason run, uh, their 0-4 World Series run. Um, so, yeah, that may be something that Epstein really likes to have that kind of designated base runner, so pinch runner, so to say. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he factors in. I feel like they've made a lot of lineup changes or roster moves recently. Um, So hopefully they'll, they'll find some stability now.
0: And yeah, as the standings sit right now, the Cubs, despite having the third best record in the national league are actually the number two seed in the national league right now, because the Padres would be second in their division. So they wouldn't get the division winning side of things. And then, the White Sox right now are the three-seed, possibly four-seed, depending on if Cleveland or Chicago has the tiebreaker. If the playoffs were to have started today, I believe the Cubs would be playing the Marlins, and the White Sox would be playing the Blue Jays, I believe, or the Astros. I can't remember just because the AL is a lot more complex than what the NL sits right now. But if you could pick – a dream matchup for each teams as to who you would want to see play, they, them play in the first round and a team that you think they want to avoid in the first round, who would you say those teams would be?
1: Mm. That's another great, great question. Um, for starters, in terms of like a dream matchup, uh, at least for the, <laughs> for the Cubs, I guess my dream matchup would be somebody who, you know, would be the easiest for them to get by. Um, I feel like them maybe playing the Marlins would be, wouldn't be would be too bad of a, a situation for the Cubs. You know, the Marlins have arguably overachieved. Um, you know, one thing that seems to be helping them is that it almost seems like the Nationals are kind of cashing it in off their world series run had some guys opt out or get season-ending surgery the Mets obviously you've had several guys opt out uh no Syndergaard no Stroman so that seemed to have helped the Marlins in terms of staying relevant in the NL East staying in the middle of the pack there um that would be a good matchup I think for the Cubs because you have a roster this stacked with players with uh, postseason experience with the Cubs and then with the Marlins, you have a team composed of guys who have virtually no playoff experience. Um, but that, so that would be maybe a good opportunity for them to get to the next round. Uh, yeah, I mean, avoiding the pot hitting, slugging teams atop the NL West, Dodgers and Padres. Not that you know. The Dodgers or Padres would drop down in the standings, but maybe if the Cubs had sort of a skid, that would be key for them to avoid those two um, for sure. As far as the White Sox, um, you mentioned the Blue Jays. That would be a really fun series to watch. Uh, you know, I, I kinda like for that one to maybe be longer than a three game set, but if they've had to play them at all, that'd be really fun to watch. Those are two clubs that are similar in that they have so much young talent, so much power in that batting order. Um, that, that would be a really exciting series. And, you know, that would be two teams also with that would be kind of new to the playoff experience because so many of those those guys on both those rosters haven't played in the postseason yet, at least the younger guys. Um so that would be a really fun matchup. Uh for sure. Um and yeah, like you said, the league is just kind of a log jam right now. Um, you know, still got a good ways to go. I mean you know, you look at the Yankees, um, you, you know, there, there's still so many teams we need to kind of figure out what exactly they are. You look at the Yankees who started off so great, and they've been pretty terrible the last 15 games or so. Um, so, you know, you got some teams like that that could maybe flip a switch down the stretch and uh, prove to be much formidable than they are right now. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out with eight teams from each league, so many different possibilities for playoff matchups right now. So just the key is just to keep winning and try to win the division for sure and and at the very least host a couple – potentially host a couple playoff series or at least get home field advantage in them.
0: Yeah, if I – the Marlins series – Everyone thinks that that would be an easy series for the Cubs, but the only problem I have with it is the Marlins have surprisingly good pitching, and mm-hmm. we've all seen how hard it is for the Cubs to hit good pitching. Yeah. So that, to me, I think could be a series that would actually haunt them in the long run, especially if they can't get to the Marlins starters. Uh, the series that I would like to see first round right now for the Cubs would, I think, be the Rockies. More so, I think it would give them a chance to kind of get revenge on 2018 when the Rockies came into Wrigley for the one-game playoff Mm. and took them out there, this would be a guaranteed two games at Wrigley. So even if they would lose the first one, they would still have that second game to even things up. A nightmare matchup, I would say, for the Cubs is probably the Cardinals in that first round just because the Cardinals know them so well. Yeah, And we saw in the doubleheader this weekend – Say what you want about the Cardinals. They're going to find ways to win, even with all these doubleheaders. Oh, yeah. But the Cardinals pitching staff is in much better shape than what the Cubs pitching staff is right now. And if it's an all-or-nothing, best-of-three series, you know Jack Flaherty's going to go against you Darvish in Game 1. Mm-hmm. You know Kyle Hendricks is going to go in Game 3, most likely against Adam Wainwright. Who are you going to throw in Game 3 if there's a Game 3? Are you going to trust Lester or are you going to trust – Mills you're gonna trust somebody else because the Cardinals have Dakota Hudson lined up for game three, so they would already have the advantage right there for game three uh for the White Sox on their side of things, the Blue Jays like you were saying, I think would be a good matchup. I honestly would love to see a White Sox Yankees matchup in that first round yeah. series mainly because the teams are built the same way yeah all they have to do is just go out there and slug fifty home runs a game and just try to pummel their opponents into the ground you have two teams that are going to go out there and hit home runs it's going to be like a home run derby for that series so I would kind of like to see how that series would pan out Uh, nightmare matchups for them is kind of similar to the Cubs I would say the Indians and the Twins or even the Astros for that matter because as good as the White Sox record has been this season they really have struggled against teams with a winning record. I think they're three games under 500 against teams that actually have a winning record, and they're 15 games over against everybody else they played. So you put them against a winning club that has postseason experience, that's going to be a big challenge for the White Sox to get over, even if it isn't that first-round matchup.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, You know, I I think that's probably going to be a consensus for most teams is kind of hoping – to avoid, um, you know, division opponents that that you had trouble with, or, or you know, have them figured out, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I definitely feel like the Cubs will want to avoid the Cardinals. I mean, regardless of where the first round series will be played, because um, yeah, this the pesky Cardinals. They always find a way to win. Uh, It's crazy to think that, yeah, you're right. I mean, their starting rotation at this point is definitely in better shape than the Cubs rotation, which is shocking considering the circumstances. And when you look at the fact that Michaelis, you know, season-ending injury very early on, so season-ending surgery, that is. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Wayne Wright's been incredible for his age. I mean – you know, it's looking like he might as well consider playing for a couple more years. The way he's pitching, uh, obviously, Flaherty still good, and yeah, so many, so much young talent in in that starting rotation as well. Um, so yeah, that 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 is would definitely be a nightmare matchup if they ended up getting uh, matched up against the Cardinals. And it's crazy to think that that season series, regular season series, is already done I mean that's kind of strange to think that the schedule makers had them play their last game against one another on you know as early as Labor Day but so um, yeah that would definitely be a nightmare matchup over the Cubs and yeah the White Sox I mean I, I think that's that seems to be sort of a common thread for teams that you know, rely on a lot of home runs. We've seen it with the Cubs in recent years, maybe a heck of a lot better against, uh, you know, bad teams or mediocre teams. And when you go up against, you know, good teams with good starting pitching, uh, the numbers aren't nearly the same as what they are against the uh, subpar teams. So, uh, yeah, going up against one of those good teams in the AL Central, the Indians or the Twins, if they're able to get in, um, that would definitely be tough on them. And, yeah, you mentioned the Astros. I mean, that's definitely a team to be avoided as well. Just, you know, if if anything, because of their postseason pedigree. I mean, obviously, you know, they've had their share of of injuries and drama and, you know, the fallback from the scandal and uh, Alvarez, you know, coming back and then getting shut down for the year. And we don't know you know if verlander's really going to be up to speed the rest of the way you're going to really be able to pitch much at all um but that's still definitely a team to to be avoided but you know you can maybe say the same thing about the yankees just cuz of how much power they have and again the the postseason pedigree so a lot of variables i mean like i said just for both for both teams for both chicago teams i think it's just a matter of trying to do whatever you can to win the division.
0: Yeah, switching over to football now. uh, NFL starts this weekend, and I know a lot of people thought this was not going to happen, and if it was going to happen, I don't think people thought it was going to happen on time, if anything. Mm -hmm. Bears are going to kick off their season against the Detroit Lions on the road this week. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky was recently named the starting quarterback, which I'm not surprised by it. But at the same time, I am surprised by it, given what Nick Foles is actually scheduled to make this season as the backup quarterback. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand why they brought him in if they weren't going to start him right away. Trubisky historically actually has played his best football against the Lions and the 49ers, surprisingly. So maybe that's the reason why he was named the starter coming out of camp. Uh, just thoughts on uh, the week one matchup against the Lions. What are you looking for from the Bears? Kind of what do you expect out of the Bears in week one? And kind of what do you expect from the Bears for the rest of the season?
1: Well, the biggest storyline, uh, at least for the first month or so, is what you just talked about, the quarterback battle. Um, I believe we touched on this last week in saying that it was you know, a likely scenario to to see Trubisky start off, begin as the starter and, you know, the bears kind of giving him an opportunity to earn it or lose it per se. Um, and the thing about Trubisky is, I mean, as if, is, you know, if he, with the bears, not extending him, I mean, if he loses this starting gig and it becomes fulls full-time job during the course of the season, you know, that pretty much marks the end of Trubisky's bears tenure. So, it's. it makes sense that they would start him out of the gate. Um, you don't want to kind of di- – because, I mean, also from a morale standpoint, I mean, Foles is used to this, obviously. Um, and I'm sure coming in, he kind of expected this to maybe be the situation at hand, you know, to kind of have to wait on Trubisky to potentially mess up for him to earn his his spot, earn his chance. But that'll be really the key thing is just seeing how Trubisky fares. Um, you know, we'll we'll see how the Bears do in the red zone. I mean, they had plenty of red zone issues last year. Um, we'll see if they can avoid dumb turnovers like they had a propensity to suffer last year, specifically Trubisky. Um, but, yeah, that'll be key. Another thing we'll be seeing how – they balance the rushing attack. Cause that was one of the frustrating things for me last year. And again, it's another thing we touched on an episode in the previous episode is, is with Montgomery, how he never really seemed to be able to go in and, and get into the flow of things. And the way they use Cohen behind him was sort of sporadic. Um, you know, I think they have a chance to really have a legitimate, you know, thunder and lightning sort of uh, two headed ru- rushing attack. So that'll be key to see them get that going early on. You know, the Lions are one of those teams that, you know, I mean, I, I guess Stafford's back to 100%. Of course, last year was sort of a, la- a lost season for him with all the injury issues he had. Um, Yeah, the Lions are a team that could be decent. They could be terrible. Um, I mean, I, I guess maybe you could say that about the Bears, but – uh, I think there's plenty more upside to the Bears, but yeah, the, it'll be key for them to to the Bears to come out swinging and hopefully get a a Week One win against a division opponent. But yeah, there's there's going to be a lot to look for early on, specifically with regard to how Trubisky plays. If he seems to be playing inspired football.
0: Yeah, from all accounts, I've heard that Trubisky's more motivated this year as opposed to any other year in his career. Maybe that's because he's got the chip on his shoulder from Foles coming in or because he has the chip on his shoulder that they didn't pick up that fifth-year option. So if he wants to stay in Chicago long-term, his play has to do the talking, that's for sure. Um, I think he's going to be on a semi-short leash like we discussed On last week's show, the Bears have a very easy, well, I shouldn't say very easy because there's no such thing as an easy game in the NFL, but in terms of their schedule, their easiest part of the schedule is that first five games of the season where anything less than three wins on that first five-game stretch, I think, will be the end of Trubisky because it's really a stretch where the Bears can bank enough wins where they should be able to remain in the postseason hunt most of the season where they don't want to fall too far behind. Our uh, rushing attack is going to look a lot different the first couple weeks as opposed to what it's going to look like towards the end of the season because David Montgomery is, by all accounts, going to be out week one for sure, yeah. possibly week two with a groin injury, which means Tariq Cohen is going to be the primary back the first two games. And last year when he tried to be the primary back, it didn't work too well for him. Cordero Patterson is definitely going to have to be – kind of that X factor the first two weeks in the running game because he can do so much in that running game as well as the passing game. This season, I think Detroit is a team that does kind of, I'm not going to say scare me, but it's a team that worries me the most, mainly because you look at last year, Detroit was 20 seconds away from beating the Chiefs last year. They were, what, one yard away from beating the Packers at Lambeau Field if it wasn't for that controversial penalty on that last drive. Mm -hmm. You add those two wins, Detroit's on a 4-0 start as opposed to the 2-2-1 and start they got on last year. And then Stafford went down and everything was downhill after that. Lions have shown in seasons past that they can compete. It's just more about staying healthy. And if that team stays healthy and if Stafford stays up with Adrian Peterson now signing with the Lions, the Lions are a team that's going to be a tough out for anybody this year.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, that that was a, um, a, a sad tale for them last year that they got off to that promising start and had those near misses, like you said, but then Stafford uh, had the major injury issues that ended up ha- resulting in him being shut down for the year. But, yeah, I mean, not having uh, Montgomery potentially week one, possibly week two, or I guess definitely – uh, week one. Um, that's going to be tough for sure. But, you know, because c- I mean, like I said, that would be key to seeing how they kind of integrate that two headed rushing attack, the Bears. Um, but yeah, hopefully Cohen will fill in nicely and, you know, get some quality carries. Um, because, you know, get, get back to what he was showing, the flashes of brilliance he was showing a few years ago. When it really does look like you know, if it wasn't for his size issues, his lack of size, that he could potentially be a premier uh, running back. But yeah, it'll be a tough one out of the gate. Um, You know, speaking of running backs, I mean the the Lions are loaded at running backs, so expect them expect the the Bears defense, rush defense, to really be tested this weekend. But um, yeah, it's it's gonna be a toss-up, per se. It'll really just, I guess, depend on on whether or not Trubisky's playing motivated, playing that inspired football like we talked about, on whether or not they can come away with the win.
0: Yeah, and I think I said last week, too, I view the Bears right now as like an 8-8 and football team, mainly because I don't know what the quarterback position's going to look like all season – but I also think if things go really bad, they can be like a five or a six win team. But if quarterback play and the offense lives up to the expectations of the defense, they can also be a 10 to an 11 win football team. So I'm just kind of leaving them that, leaving them at that eight and eight mark right now, just until we get maybe a month into the season to see how both sides of the ball are kind of working with one another and gelling with one another to see if one unit helps each other more than the other side of the ball.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I'm I'm right there. I mean, I'm not even going to begin to kind of speculate on how things could play out. I, I think the safest uh, expectation, like you said, is to be around 500. Um, but, yeah, just the, how the quarterback play pans out is going to be key. Um, cause I mean, even if true Trubis- even if Trubisky, you know, was shaky early on and they decided to insert foals in, in there, you know, with, with foals, you don't always get the, uh, Super Bowl run foals that you saw with the Eagles a couple of years ago. when obviously he filled in for Wentz and led the Eagles to the Super Bowl. Um, and another thing with Folds is sometimes you get the uh, injury-plagued Foles. Of course, he, he had that star-struck tenure with the Jaguars that was pretty much ruined week one when he suffered a, a major upper-body injury. So, yeah, it's just to me, it's just kind of waiting with bated breath to see, you know, which Trubisky we're going to get if there's going to be any legitimate quarterback drama in terms of maybe them switching back and forth between games. Um, You know, if Foles plays, will he gel with that offense? Um, You know, you'd expect him to since Nagy's sort of like a quarterback whisper in a way. Um, But, yeah, it's just a lot of question marks around that, and that's really the biggest thing. I mean, you know, the first, I believe he said the first four or five games to have a chance to start off. With a decent record, and they really, really need to do that. Because, like I said on last week's show, I mean the the NFC is so stacked with quarterback talent and teams that are going to be gunning for a playoff spot that it's just going to be incredibly difficult. It's the uh, you know, you any team in the NFC for sure is going to have to have going to have their work cut out for them if they're to get to the playoffs. Yeah.
0: Uh last sport going on right now is MLS soccer. I don't know how familiar you are with the MLS landscape, so we'll just touch on it briefly, but uh soccer came out with a phase 1, phase 2, and phase 3 return to play proposal. Each phase is 6 games added to the season, giving each team 18 games on top of the 5 games that they play leading into the COVID shutdown on the COVID break. Phase one was basically all regional games and the final game of that phase is this weekend. And then we'll start to see what phase two and phase three looks like after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicago Fire have been competitive. They haven't had the results that they've hoped so far. I think they've gone one, two and one in the four games or no one, three and one since coming back to return to play and they're sitting at thirteenth place in the Eastern Conference with eight points right now. Good news for them is given everything that's happened this year, instead of seven teams making the postseason, ten teams in the Eastern Conference make the postseason this year. They're only two points out of that final spot. So if they can find a way to get a win on Saturday, then they'll be actually above the playoff cut line for The time being, I don't know how much soccer you've watched, but what have you thought of Chicago's play, especially since they've kind of returned to more of a regular schedule?
1: Yeah. um, I haven't necessarily been in the MLS loop quite like I should. Um, That'll definitely be something I'll look to up my game in as we move forward with the Chicago sports HQ chatter. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been kind of, it's been interesting. I mean, they, of course they had the, uh, tournament when they returned to play, um, and that was really exciting, but then it's just kind of like, well, waiting around to figure out how the rest of the regular season is going to play out. Um, you know, they definitely seem to be a team that, you know, at least prior to the shutdown seemed to be, you know, on the path of of coming up short, maybe in a rebuilding phase, so to say. But yeah, I guess it's, you know, it's kind of like Major League Baseball. I mean, with the expanded playoffs and if you have a chance to get in, you might as well go for it. Um, you know, no telling no telling what will happen, really. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily know how many people expected uh, the Columbus crew, who I think uh, the fire playing coming up. I don't know how many people expected them to be as – as good as they've been uh, coming into this season, but uh, you know it's it's going to be competitive. It's going to be an interesting format to trying to to get to the postseason. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see how the fire play coming out of the game coming out of the gate. Uh, you know, in in this return to play, and um, you know what we've seen from them so far. Like I said. Uh, you know before the shutdown seemed like a team that was destined to kind of set their sights on 2021 i think they played um what maybe 5 5 or so matches since the end of the the tournament yeah uh, they
0: just they their first match was august i think 14th and they played 5 games with their final game of phase one against Columbus on Saturday. And then I expect to have probably a week off before phase two starts, just so they can get the schedule and everything else situated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know they, I think they beat Cincinnati three nil. That was pretty good. I mean, Cincinnati's sort of in the same boat as Chicago in terms of being a young team looking to the future, but um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if they can get there. You know, it's, you know, if you're, If we're talking Chicago sports right now, it seems to be we're talking just do what you can to get to the postseason. So maybe they can get there.
0: Yeah, I was I was a little bit higher on the fire than most people were. I did not expect them to make the playoffs this year, but I expected them to finish a lot better than what they did last year. They had a new coach coming in and he had a very good international coaching pedigree, especially over in Europe, which is the main reason why they wanted to bring him in. They brought a lot of uh, foreign transfers in, especially Robert barrich who's like one of the best strikers in the European circuit for quite some time. And I think that's honestly hurt the fire this year more than people realize because you have a new coach coming in that's trying to install his system, trying to get his team to buy into a system. You get two games into the season and then you're shut down for four months where you can't do anything. You go to a tournament and you play three games you get shut down for another month. So it just seems like whenever the fires start to get to where they want to be, they get shut down for a couple months where they can't even practice or really do anything. So hopefully this phase two, phase three kind of extended amount of play kind of gets them to that level where they expect to be.
1: Yeah, hopefully so. Um, hopefully so.
0: And then kind of going into like the off season now, uh, M first, Basketball fans, Bulls offseason has been going on a lot longer than any of us had hoped. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks offseason started a couple weeks ago, and now that Vegas eliminated them from the postseason. Uh, basketball postseason has been actually pretty exciting, and with the Bucks being eliminated yesterday, the Eastern Conference, I think, just became a whole lot more wide open as to who's going to come out of the East. But a lot of the talk right now is circling around the Chicago Bulls, and their head coaching search now that Jim Boylan is gone. We've heard a lot of names being thrown out there from Kenny Atkinson to a lot of the top assistants in the game that have been trying to become a head coach the last couple of years. One name that circled around the team this morning was Billy Donovan, who decided not to extend his contract with Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. And I was on board for the Bulls to kind of go after a guy like, Wes Unsell Jr. or Ime Adoka as one of the young assistants that lo- is looking for that first head coaching job, but if the Bulls can get Billy Donovan, I would not hesitate to bring him into Chicago right now, especially after the coaching job that he did with the Thunder this year.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. If they can get Billy Donovan, do whatever it takes. You know, give him the give him the contract he wants, bring him in. Um, because yeah, again, that was. You know, pretty shocking news in the midst of you know having two playoff games last night. Um, kind of like a, a news dump, so to speak. That the Thunder trying to get that out there, where they wouldn't get bombarded with attention, was the 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 news about the two sides moving on. You know, and it really seemed like more than anything that uh, Donovan just doesn't really have any interest in coming back. Uh, you know, because the Thunder had been kind of in a weird situation for the past year or so ever since the Westbrook trade where it's like they're rebuilding in a way, but they're also, you know, came within a game of advancing to the Western Conference semis. They're probably going to look to move Chris Paul in the offseason. So anywho, for for what is worth, whatever that combination of things seemed to – to tell Donovan that he needs to go somewhere else. Cause he, I mean, he's paid his dues there for sure. And I'm I'm sure he's going to look to play for a team that's gunning to, you know, compete for, to compete to get better at the very least and compete to, you know, for a championship within the next few years. Um, And yeah, he could be the key to getting the bulls over the hump. I mean, I think it's safe to say the bulls have quite a bit of young talent. Um, You know, they're going to, have more promise heading into next season than they've had heading into any season in quite some time, Uh, particularly with, you know, a new head coach, if it's, if it's somebody with start the star power of Donovan, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he might consider the Sixers job, um, you know, obviously that's the safer bet if he wants to compete for a championship in the near future. And that could potentially be, Something that that keeps uh, Ben Simmons happy and keeps that core group together. But if the Bulls have the opportunity to bring him on board, by all means do. Because, I mean, yeah, the coaching job he did with the Thunder this year was incredible. They were expected to be, you know, a borderline playoff team. And like I said, ended up coming up within just a few points of, you know, knocking off the Rockets and getting to the second round of the playoffs. So, um. Yeah, he's done a good job. He did a good job for the most part with the Thunder. Um, some deep playoff runs, exceeded expectations at times, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, based on his pedigree from Florida to the Thunder, um, the Bulls should definitely, definitely, definitely give him whatever he wants if if they can get him over over getting an unproven assistant coach with no head coaching experience
0: that kind of leads me to my next question then too uh you brought up the philadelphia job which on paper it's more of the win now type of job but with udoka being the top assistant searching for his first head coaching job i get the sense that philadelphia is going to give that job to him mainly because his high regard with Greg Popovich and a lot of the NBA executives have like very high remarks on Udoka, so keeping him in Philadelphia might be a good thing just because of the player familiarity with Mm them. But I think the Bulls' job is actually more intriguing than any of the openings that are available right now because you have a very large market in Chicago that, if they have the money, they're going to be able to spend and bring players in. They have the historical factor because of Michael Jordan and just kind of that history feel in Chicago. And they have a lot of young talent that Donovan is experienced with working with in Oklahoma city, where if you can turn it around, it might take one or two years, but if you can turn it around and build a winner in Chicago, you're going to be forever appreciated by the city, no matter what you do after you leave Chicago, Chicago loves winners. Just like when, Joe Madden was in Chicago, and no matter what he does in Anaheim, he's always going to be appreciated for what he did here. If Donovan can go in, maybe kind of float, not necessarily be a terrible team, but kind of float around that 30-35 win mark the next couple of years and then just make them an annual playoff team after that, Chicago's going to be forever grateful for Donovan. But we, but we know right now one of the needs that the Bulls have is a true point guard. And with Oklahoma City wanting to cut payroll from their roster, would you be open to say Billy Donovan takes the Bulls' job if the Bulls offered it to him? Would you be open to trading Otto Porter Jr. and possibly another player to Oklahoma for Chris Paul?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, Chris Paul for his lack of of deep playoff runs um you know he still obviously makes makes every team he's on better future hall of famer you know definitely a throwback and that he's a true traditional point guard slash floor general that really commands the flow of things um and he seemed to work well with billy donovan who was a player like that in his own right obviously not nearly as good as paul but back in his playing days um but, yeah, they seem to gel really well. I mean, obviously, I think it's safe to say that Billy Donovan, you know, opting to leave OKC has nothing to do with his relationship with with Paul. It, it seems to be more so the fact that the Thunder are probably going to look to move Paul and go back into this sort of semi-rebuilding stage um, and, and that leading to Donovan wanting out. But, yeah, that's definitely something – I would be open to the Bulls doing. Of course, they have Kobe White, but he seems to be, you know, kind of like an Allen Iverson type guy in that he's built like a point guard, per se, has all the making sort of an, of a point guard, but he's such a, you know, a, a shoot first kind of guy. that um, He's more of a, a shooting guard. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely something that this Bulls team could use is to have that kind of floor general, especially because so many of their – you know, star players or their stars in the making are young, having that veteran voice in there to lead things would be valuable. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely – if they have to trade Otto Porter Jr. Or, or whomever, if they could somehow find a way to land Chris Paul, that would be great.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think bringing in Chris Paul would be especially good for Kobe White as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kobe White everyone says that Kobe White isn't a true point guard and he's more of a shooting guard which if you watched his play last year you can see why people feel that way but White is only six foot four so it's not like he's going to be a shooting guard long term at six foot four he's more suited I think to be a point guard so I think learning behind a guy like Chris Paul for a year or two would be a major major step in White's development as a point guard Another thing that I kind of look at is if Billy Donovan were to come to Chicago or if any coach were to come to Chicago for that matter, would that coach be liked enough to intrigue big-priced free agents to come to Chicago? I know Chicago is tight on cap space right now, but Anthony Davis last year did hint on him not really a desire but more hinting on that he would like to play for the Bulls at some point because he's a Chicago kid. I would love to see Anthony Davis in Chicago. I don't know how the Bulls could make it work given what their payroll is at this point. But what is if Billy Donovan is not the answered head coach, who's a head coach that you think could come in that could potentially bring a guy like Davis to sign in free agency?
1: Uh... That's that's tricky. I mean, I think the the key phrase in there is that you know, Anthony Davis hinted that he would like to maybe play for the Bulls at some point, you know, maybe at some point down the road. I'm not necessarily holding my breath on that. Um, you know, he's only 27 and obviously, you know, arguably the best big man in the game. So I feel like it, it might it's fairly likely that he'll you know sign on for a few more years with LeBron in LA to try to win a few more titles and then maybe choose to take his talents elsewhere maybe if the bulls are more promising by then he would choose to join so i'm not necessarily holding my breath that he would that he'll do that um this offseason whether whether or not the lakers win the championship this fall uh, as far as a coach that would bring him there that could maybe sway his decision, um, you know, Donovan's maybe the, the best option there. Um, you know, cause in terms of his pedigree, you know, Alvin Gentry is the guy who coached Davis for a little bit in New Orleans before Davis moved on to LA, obviously got dealt there. So, um, you know, and they seem to have a pretty good rapport, but I haven't seen uh, Gentry's name mentioned at all in the in the Bulls coaching search so far. Um, you know, Atkinson's another one. Uh, he seems to be a guy who's pretty well-respected. Of course, the way things ended in Brooklyn was, were kind of strange. It really seemed like more than anything else that, you know, Durant and Irving were going to pick their own head coach, whether – you know, Kenny Atkinson was was willing to stick around or not, which maybe sort of pushed him to uh head out the door early. But uh yeah, I don't necessarily know if there's a coach that could particularly sway Anthony Davis. I mean having Donovan there would be would would be make it more appealing, but I think Anthony Davis is gonna do what Anthony Davis is is gonna do, regardless of really who's the coach and like i said i would be surprised if he chooses to go the hometown you know sweetheart route so to speak by by coming back to chicago to play for the bulls right now when he's at the top of his game and probably looking to win you know championships maybe win an mvp so on and so forth so uh i would be a little shocked if he's not if he doesn't at least agree to hang around with the Lakers for a couple more years or, or go to another team, this championship ready.
0: Yeah. Uh, last topic we'll discuss today is the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, their season ended a couple weeks ago and I'm sure by all accounts, it was a happy ending yet bittersweet because leading up until the COVID shutdown, the Blackhawks were, one of the worst teams in the Western conference and we're pretty much packing in their off season plans already. And then all of a sudden the NHL said, Oh yeah, we're going to expand the postseason." Now all of a sudden the Blackhawks get in as the worst, the worst seat or the highest seat in the Western conference and pulled off a first round upset against Edmonton before falling to Vegas. But even against Vegas, they were in basically every single game until the final moments what are your takes on kind of not necessarily the entire Blackhawks season, just because the first four or five months, the Blackhawks really were not a good team, but what is your take on kind of how the Blackhawks performed in the postseason bubble and kind of do you think they can use what they learn in that bubble to kind of put together a more consistent winning team next year?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I think having so many veteran players with, Obviously, substantial postseason experience, including Stanley Cup finals experience, really boded well for them in the bubble. Like you said, you know, they were the lowest seed in for the West um, under normal circumstances, wouldn't even have been a, a playoff team, probably wouldn't even, be, even have been in intention for a playoff spot late in the year. But they got in, uh, pulled off the upset, you know, held their own against uh, Vegas, uh, you know, as well as could have been expected for them too. But, yeah, it was pretty impressive. I mean, for them, I just – I don't know. I mean, they have so many veterans. Of course, they moved on from Quinville as the coach in recent years. Um, You know, you have to wonder if they'll be looking to – rebuild in the near future or build around those guys who have been there for so long, uh, Taze, Kane, Keith, Crawford, so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, I mean the talent's definitely there, you know, they still have, so, they still have like one of the more star studded rosters really in the Western conference. Um, cause again, with some of those guys who have been there for so long who are household names, But, yeah, it it bodes well for them to maybe get back to being, you know, a a legitimate contender next year based on how they perform in the bubble. It's just going to be interesting. I mean, it's going to be a weird offseason in terms of seeing what teams are able to pack in and what moves they make before, you know, in the blink of an eye training camps here. So. You know we'll see, but uh, i I was definitely impressed with what they were able to do, considering the circumstances.
0: yeah, I don't necessarily know if the Blackhawks are gonna go in a rebuild, but I also don't think they're ready to compete as one of the better teams in the Western Conference just yet. I think they're gonna do a lot of retooling to their roster while still building around what they have, so you still have. Jonathan Tabe, you still have Patrick Kane. You got Alex the Cat that you're going to kind of want to build around. And then Corey Crawford actually showed up as the Corey Crawford that won multiple Stanley Cups in the postseason this year. So I think Chicago is hoping that Crawford can maybe bounce back next year to be more consistent. If they can get the kind of play that Crawford delivered in the postseason bubble all year next year, a couple tweaks to the roster here and there, and you have a much better Blackhawks team that probably could make a deeper playoff run next year.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, the the veteran talent is there. Um, And yeah, the way Crawford played to close things out was promising. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what direction they choose to go in. I mean, I agree with you, especially considering how weird, this off is going to be, you know, I don't, a full rebuild, obviously shouldn't be expected to come to fruition until next off season, potentially, depending on how the 2020, 2021 season plays out. But yeah. They, they definitely have the uh, ability to retool, like you said, and build around those key cogs that have been there for so long.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love the veteran leadership the Blackhawks have. I just it there comes a point where I always hate to say it that all good things have to come to an end mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah, the Blackhawks have had an incredible run with the group of veterans that they have. I just don't see this group sticking around completely together much longer. Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves might be the only two that. I would not trade anytime soon just because of what they brought to this franchise and kind of what they've meant to the franchise since they got here. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised at all to see any of these other veterans like Duncan Keith on the roster be traded for younger talent to get, that could help the team, not only in the short run, but in the long run as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure.
0: But that's all the time we got for today on Chicago sports HQ chatter. Cole and I will be doing this podcast every Wednesday afternoon, and pretty much we'll be discussing the same things we talked about today, just sports life in Chicago with the NFL season starting next week. We'll have probably more football to discuss than we did this week, but you got anything else you want to add, Cole, before we end things today?
1: Yeah, just, you know, thanks again for having me on. Uh, Thank you for listening. For those of you who are tuning in, you know, be sure to check out all the websites in the Chicago Sports HQ uh tree the branch so to speak um you know cubs hq chicago bears hq chicago sports hq bull bulls hq so on and so forth check us out we're riding over there we're doing all kinds of good stuff including this podcast um like uh like dustin said you know it'll be once a week um but yeah we got a lot to look forward to dustin you know got football nfl season starting up tomorrow um and, you know, it's about to be a jam-packed sports lineup. Got the home stretch of Major League Baseball regular season. Um, and, yeah, it's it's going to be a busy time for Chicago sports. Plenty of postseason expectations. And, you know, obviously plenty – there will be plenty to talk about. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: All right. That's all the time we got for you today. Thanks for hopping on, Cole. And we'll uh, talk to you next week.
1: All right, man. See ya. Thanks.
0: See ya.